You know, as we were singing that, uh, I was reminded of Friday night. Several people had mentioned uh, Friday night, how, how good that was. We started our um, Love Says Go Academy on Friday nights, and Jason Chen, is, it's a curriculum that he's written, and it was just amazing. But one of the things that he said was this. He talked about uh, Barabbas when Jesus was uh, being crucified, and there was Barabbas to his side. And what was so strong about it, he brought out, that I've, I mean, I know these two, two words and what they mean, but Barabbas' name, Barabbas' name means this. Bar means son. You know, they said uh, in the scriptures, Simon bar Jonah, familiar with that? It means Simon, son of Jonah. So Bar, it means son. And uh, so the, the very name Barabbas means son of Abba. Let that soak in a minute. Because what was so powerful about that is he said that even though he, the man who was worthy of death and all that he had done, he was still a son of Abba. Doesn't mean he was a Christian. Are you with me? But it means that the father thought no less of him than any other. <laughs> you don't get it. You know, that he, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he, God doesn't wait to love us when we are lovable. Because even when we see ourselves as lovable... That's where the scripture says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. It stinks. So when, when we were unlovely, he still loved us. And when he brought out that his name was uh, Barabbas and that he was uh, a son of Abba, that's the love of the father He's not just an enough God. He's in a more than enough God. Amen? So there was, uh, there was I could literally re-preach what he preached Friday night in our, our training because it was so good. Several of the things that he brought out was just powerful. And uh, I'll, I'll just open up. Anybody have testimony uh, that want to share before we get started? Uh, anybody have a testimony? I know Cam... You and Curran ready? Come on up, little man. He's looking at me like, what? Do I give the mic to you or Curran? No, don't give it to him. (laughs) (laughs) We'll never get out of here. Um, Curran gave me the uh, permission to to share this. On, um, I guess, Tuesday and Wednesday, he was starting to show some signs of having a urinary tract infection and uh, was complaining about being sore and things and... uh, and so Thursday, I uh, went to men's group that evening, and Rachel had called me in the middle and said that uh, it looked like it was maybe getting worse, and he was complaining about having a, a headache and that his ankles uh, were hurting too, and that he was cold even though he didn't have a fever. So, you know, anytime you have symptoms that you're not familiar with, it's, oh, great, what are we heading towards now? And as a parent, it's always worst-case scenario. Uh, 
And so we prayed for him. I prayed for him over the phone and uh, prayed for him at men's group. And Josh said, so when you get home and he's completely healed up, then you have to text me. And I didn't get home till late. <laughs> and uh, so he was in bed, uh, but it seemed like that he'd gone down good and he was asleep. And, uh, and so uh, when he got up in the middle of the night, uh, as is pretty much custom for him, uh, you know, did a quick check and Sure enough, he was pain-free and seemed to be sleeping well, and Come so on. the next day, uh, everything was good. So, um, yeah, you know, you're always skeptical of the magical, miraculous healing, and I've learned that healing doesn't have to be instant, and it doesn't always have to be unexplainable, uh, but it sure is cool when God, uh, when God does that. So, uh, yeah, we're just, we're just thanking the Lord for... Uh, Instant, miraculous, no other explanation for it, healing. Amen. Come on. Good testimony, Kern. That was a good testimony. He did good, didn't he? (laughs) You did well, son. You did well. Anyone else? Okay. Um, So Friday night, Love Says Go Academy started. And it was awesome for who wasn't here and you didn't sign up. It's going to be great. Yeah. And, um... So I'm going to bounce off of some of the things that Todd shared about it. And Friday night when I was sitting there and listening to everything and the explanations that he was giving us, um, and the one that really stuck out to me was the seed that was sown and how um, we look at that. And in Mark 4, in verse 26, and he said, The kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed upon the ground. And I pondered on that, and um, I've asked God to show me things. So as I was sitting there Friday night, I could picture my father, um, you know, back when I was younger, it been too long ago. They didn't have these nice little fancy spreaders. fertilizer spreader things. And I can remember him throwing seed out. And, you know, it would take a little while, but then you look at the grass and it's just plush. And we're like, wow. But you know what? That's us. Yeah. That's God. When he plants seed in us and we spread it out and we see people around us, just look at them. There's plush. There's plush people around us. Amen. Our friends, our strangers, who you come in contact with. How are you sowing a seed? Yeah. Think about that. Amen. That's good. You go, girl. Anyone else? I don't want to just shut it down. Mom? Yeah. Okay. I don't do this. Friday night, uh, I told yes, Frank, you do. No, I told Frank Friday night, I said, I know if I go in there, they're going to pair me off to do some of that where you go. And I said, <laughs> I said, I don't want to do that. Frank said, well, just maybe they won't. Just came on. <laughs> so, of course, being paired us off. And I'm <laughs> standing there like a lost sheep, and here comes Heather. She said, the Lord told me to come to you. And that was the biggest blessing because I didn't have to. She did, which made it easier for me. Come on. And I just want to thank the Lord for giving me a little bit more boldness that I don't have. Yes, you do. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I knew they'd pair us off, and they did. <laughs> that old Ben. You know, one thing, again that was mentioned that uh, I think Jason Chen talked about 
It was one of his interns that came to him about that parable that Tina referenced about the sower sowing the seed. She said, I saw something in that that I haven't seen before, and it was how lavishly the sower sowed seed with no regard of where it went. And we have a mentality, well, I'll just sow seed where I know I'm going to get a return. And what was so powerful is she said that because what we become is harvest-minded instead of seed-minded. Because we just want to sow where we can get something instead of, he said, God so loved the world. So we see the sower that Tina read, the passage that Tina read, he's just throwing seed. And he, when he throws it, it's on, the, it's on the, the road, it's by the roadside, it's in the weeds, and it's in the good, the good place. The other thing that he shared that was really good is he said Bill Johnson taught one time, and he talked about in the culture of that day, they would sow before they tilled the ground. He said, so the sower would go out, and he would sling seed on the ground, and then the tiller would come and say, oh, here's seed, so I need to plow here. (laughs) So what he was saying is when we go out and we're seed conscious, not harvest conscious, and we're just throwing seed, Everywhere God tells us to share, he said, you may, it may seem that you got rejected, but you know what you did? You sowed seed. And when you sowed seed, they got marked for the tiller. <laughs> That's just good. That's just good because it takes, the, takes it all off of what it, what's the harvest. Well, do they, you know, that's where the, the Bible says that uh, one sows, another waters, but it's God who gives the increase. It's God that gives the increase. And so all of that went along with what I want to share today because there has to be a mentality shift in us. And that was what was so, so sweet about it Friday night is it was about not about what you're doing, but about who you are and who's in you and the privilege that we have in sowing seed, the privilege that we have in sharing part of who he is with those around us. So I went back and you know, a few weeks ago, last week, I didn't really get to preach. <laughs> that's, all, that's awesome. I like it like that. Uh, but a few couple of weeks ago, I shared about Pentecost Sunday. As I was meditating on that, I went back and I looked. The first time I, I shared this, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, is the first time that the Spirit is mentioned as far as ref- referring to God. It's Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And where it says there that the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters. You remember that? I shared a little bit of that on Pentecost Sunday. That word hovered there, uh, it means, uh, I just lost it. It means brooding over, like a, a mother hen broods over her chicks. But it also means this, as I went back into it and looked at it, because the Lord just kept uh, impressing on my heart, so I went back to see what it was. It also means this, to relax. So the first time that we see the Spirit of God mentioned, it shows him in action, but relaxing. I think that's good. The first time we see the Spirit mentioned in the New Testament is when the Spirit of God came upon Mary and she conceived. So we see God active and resting, relaxing at the same time. And the Lord really began, because one of the things that they talked about, that Jason talked about Friday night, was that not being stressed about being a witness, but just being a witness and enjoying it. Just being who God's called you to be and enjoying it. And as I was looking at that, and look at this right here. So in the first mention of the Spirit, we see Him active in creation. And in the first mention in the New Testament, we see Him active in what? 
creation. <laughs> He's creating a body. He's bringing seed to a woman that Jesus would have a body here on the earth. So he was both active and relaxing. John chapter 1, verse 32 says this, 32 through 34 says this, and John uh, witness, bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. Uh, one translation says rested upon him. I did not know him, I did not know him who, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and, and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. He said, I have seen and testified that the one whom the Spirit of God came upon and rested and remained upon, he is the Son of God. So when he says this, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. There's, it's, this reference to Jesus being baptized is uh, referenced in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And here it is the one, and John's the one where it references that he'll baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with power. So when he said this, he said the, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon us just like it came upon him. Matthew chapter 3, 16 through 17 says, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So I've heard said a lot and I've even prayed it. You know, We'll pray because it sounds good. Lord, rend the heavens and come down. And people pray that when they're praying for revival. They'll pray, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. I want you to understand, that's a, it's a biblical prayer, but it's an old covenant prayer. Does that make sense? It's biblical in the, in the sense that it is in the Bible, it's contained, and it was prayed, and it was a prayer. But that he would rend the heavens and that he would come down. But here we see record that Jesus, when he was baptized, what happened? It says the heavens were open. That's the same word for rent. Are you with me? I'm going somewhere. The heavens were rent. The heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. So it says the Spirit, he saw, he, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. So here we see the heavens open, but here's the word I want us to focus on, upon in the New Testament, it's the word epi, and it literally means this, superimposition. And it's also referred to as rest. Superimposition. So what is that? What is superimposition? It means to put something over top of something else. And you see it a lot in in. Uh, photographs that people will superimpose an image, one image over top of another image. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? You can take one image. You, you see it a lot in, as a perfect example, is in newscasting. They're on a green screen, and they superimpose them over top of whatever background they want them to be on. Are you tracking with me now? So here the word, when it says that the Spirit comes upon us, it means that He's placed over top of us. He's superimposed Onto us. So when the Father sees us, He sees the Spirit upon us. 
This is what happened to Jesus when he came up out of the water. The Spirit came upon him, just as us. We see Jesus being created, uh, the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary, and life coming to be. Well, that's where Jesus told Nicodemus, don't marvel that I tell you, you must be born again. So what is he saying? Just as Jesus was born of the Spirit, we have to be born of the Spirit. He said, a man must be born of water and of the Spirit, John chapter 3. So what he's saying is when we're born of water and of the Spirit, the Spirit comes upon. See, there's a difference on the Spirit within and the Spirit upon. Jesus, when he was, before he was baptized, did he have the Spirit within? It's not a trick question. Yes. Yes, he had the Spirit within, right? Because it was the Spirit that gave life to him. Are we tracking? I don't want to lose anyone. So Jesus had the Spirit within. Just as when we are born again, we have the Spirit within. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he's talking about here in John when he said, but when he, he said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending, this is he who baptizes with the Holy, the Holy Spirit. So this is the one who puts the Spirit upon who superimposes him over top of us so it's not us working. And again, what is that word upon there? It has the, uh, another meaning of rest. So what does all this mean? We see the day of Pentecost, something amazing happens. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 1-8, we'll, we'll turn there real quick. It says, But you shall receive power... When the Holy Spirit has what? Come. What? Upon you. You'll receive power when what? Holy Spirit comes upon you. Not when he takes up residence on the inside of you. That's being born again. Are you with me? You can even go to John chapter 20 if you understand how did this happen to the disciples. Because in John chapter 20, we see that the disciples, before Jesus uh, ascended, he breathed on them and said to them what? Received the Holy Spirit. So on the day of Pentecost, the, the disciples had Holy Spirit on the inside of them because Jesus breathed them. How did he do that? The exact same way he did in creation. When God formed man from the dust of the earth, he says he formed man, then he did what? He breathed into him. And man became a living being. He became a spirit being. So here, the disciples, he breathed on them. They received the Holy Spirit. But he said, but I want, there's something you've got to do. You've got to wait in Jerusalem till you're endued with power. He said in 1.8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So this word upon, it means to be superimposed over top of. It means uh, also a place of rest. I think this is, is crucial for us being the witness that God's called us to be. Because if we feel that it's something that we've got to do, we can go back up to Matthew chapter 3. Jesus has been born. He's lived 30-plus years in obscurity. And now he comes on the scene and he begins public, uh, the beginning of his public ministry. So what has Jesus done up to this point as far as to be, uh, if it was a works-based thing, to be accepted by the Father? Nothing. Are you with me? He hasn't created, he hasn't turned the water into wine, he hasn't raised the dead, he hasn't healed the sick, he hasn't preached the gospel. Are you with me? And in Matthew chapter 3, it says this, when he had been baptized, Jesus came 
up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighted upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is what? My beloved Son, in whom I am what? So before he did anything, how did the Father see him? As well pleased with him. Well, that was Jesus. Well, Ephesians 1, chapter 6, uh, chapter 1, verse 6 says that I am accepted in the beloved. You know, another thing that's, that's important here, when Satan, in the temptation, when Satan came to uh, Jesus in the wilderness, he said, if you be the Son of God. What he left out is if you be the beloved Son of God. If you be the Son of God. But God said when Jesus was baptized, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Before he ever did anything, he was well pleasing to the Father. What are you, where are you going? Here's what I want you to understand. God wants us to know our position with him so that when we go out, wherever it is, whether it be our workplace, our home place, our neighborhood, the restaurant, wherever, that we're not going out to do something to be pleasing to God. We're doing something out of pleasing God, out of the relationship that I'm pleasing to God because of who I am in Him. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll minister from a place of rest. There's a huge, huge difference in ministering from a place of striving and ministering from a place of rest. And when we're striving, that ought to be the first indicator that I'm trying to produce something myself. Amen. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon, when the Spirit of God in Genesis 1 was hovering, He was moving, He was relaxed. Are you with me? He was relaxed in what he was doing. He wasn't uptight. He wasn't tense. And he was getting ready to create the world that we see. But he was relaxed. So when we are about our Father's business, we should operate in the same heart and the same mentality. He said, you'll receive power, Acts 1-8, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. It's to relax. So as I was studying that and just meditating on this, this reality that when Holy Spirit is upon, it's not a place of stress. Because I'll be straight, honest with you. A lot of what I've done in ministry, has, there's been a lot of striving. There's been a lot of me going, man, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. I was reading something today. Um, a young man that I knew, he's a, an associate pastor somewhere, but he had posted this thing where this Baptist minister took his life. 69 years old, he took his life because he was uh, depressed. And as I was reading that, he, at the end of this, there was some firm that did uh, a survey. And what they said out of this is 70%, I think it was 70% of pastors are depressed. 80% of pastors said they only study the Bible when they're trying to get a message. 70-something percent said that ministry had negatively affected their family. 
And uh, there was one other statistic I can't remember that was just as grim as those. And you know why? Because the second one that I said, 80% of them only study the Bible to get a message. You know, being active in the church is one of the easiest places to fall out of a love relationship with Jesus. Being active in church, not just being a casual, I'll get there when I can, but you're coming and you're serving and you're doing this and you're giving and you're doing that. And so what happens is you get into this mentality as if I've got to do more so that he can love me more or he can be more pleased with me or so that it looks better or so that I feel better. And you're not operating out of a position of rest. We can work from rest. And that's what Hebrews 4 is about. As I was praying about this and looking at this, the Lord just kept taking me back to Hebrews chapter 4. And I know I've shared this here before, and I've I've sent out emails about the rest of God and and things like that. But as I looked at at this thing in Genesis chapter 1, the very first, in in, uh, hermeneutics, how to study the Bible, one of the things they talk about is first mention principle. So you go somewhere, you find the first place that's mentioned in the Bible, and then you follow it from there. And what God normally does is he'll set a precedence from that first mention. Are you with me? And when I went back to this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says that the Spirit of God was there, active in creation, but he was relaxing. But he was creating. But he was relaxing. I was like, Lord, that should be our model in life, that while we're working, we're not working for, we're working from. From that, the Lord took me, we're going to go to Hebrews 4, but from there, the Lord took me to Isaiah chapter 11. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, I believe it is, it talks about that there's going to be a a branch that comes out of the root of Jesse, and the rest of chapter 11 is a, a prophetic declaration of Jesus. Isaiah chapter, Isaiah chapter 11 is talking about Jesus being the branch that's going to bring salvation to the Jews. So I was meditating on that, about Jesus being the branch. And the Lord took me to John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine, and you are what? Isaiah 11 says there's a branch that's going to rise up out of, the root of, out of the root of Jesse, and he will bring salvation to the world. That branch is specifically talking about Jesus, Messiah. But here in John 15, Jesus refers to us as the same as he's referred to in, in, in Isaiah. You think that's coincidental? I don't think so. What is the, where does the life of the branch come from? The vine. And he said, as you are connected to me, intimately connected to me, the branch does what? It bears fruit. So let's look at Jesus. In Isaiah 11, he's referred to as the branch. <laughs> I love the Lord. This is what Julie painted today. <laughs> Julie and I had no interaction other than she saying, we're here. And I said, you look amazing. Isn't that about how it went down? That was the only interaction we had today. I'm just saying. I am the vine. You're the branches. The fruit is on what? The branches. In Isaiah 11, it says Jesus was the branch. Can we agree that Jesus was pretty good about bringing forth fruit? 
<laughs> yeah, you and I are fruit. We're here because of him. And he said in Isaiah 11, I am, that they, Isaiah prophesying about Jesus, that he was the branch. But then in John, he didn't, Jesus didn't get it confused. What he wanted us to understand is that the life that was in him is now in us. And that that relationship that we have of intimacy with him is what brings forth the fruit. And it's not something that we have to labor and work for. It's something that comes because we're connected to him. So it comes in a, from a position of rest. I mean, that was a, a lot. Stephanie came up and had a word, and a lot of what her word was was resting in him. I love the way the Holy Spirit confirms things. That we don't have to try to make something Happen, But as I was studying this this week and just really looking into it, Hebrews chapter 4. I, I want to read the, fa- the, the rest of verse 5 in John 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have a promise, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. So what is he saying? We who believe. And here's something I think I shared this the other week. This is something the Lord is doing in me. All right? What the Lord has been speaking to my heart is this. Todd, you really believe something once you start living by it. Not once you make mental agreement with it. This we've shared before when Ben taught on SOS about uh, healing. He talked about it can't just be a concept. And what I've discovered in my life, there are many things that I have mental agreement with from the Bible. But when I really believe them, then I'm connected intimately to that truth, and I'll live that truth whether I see the fruit of it at that time. It means I will live in the reality of that truth, intimately connected to that truth, whether I see the fruit of it right now or not. It's not going to separate me from the truth because I believe it to be true from the Word of God. So I'm going to act upon it, whether it looks like that tastes like that, smells like that, sounds like that. I won't be connected. I won't be that branch that disconnects itself and from the life of God just because it doesn't look like what I want it to look like right now. Oh, me. He said this word, Hebrews, this word was preached to them just like to us, just like it was to them. But it didn't profit them because they didn't. It says, it it says, That word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who believed do enter that rest. What does that mean? Here's what it means. When I, by faith, believe the promise to be true, whether I see it or not, there's a rest that comes on the inside of me. Why? Because I have the Holy Spirit upon me. And in him, there's a place of rest. When it could be chaotic around us, I can be in him and it can be in a place of rest because it's not my ability to produce results. It's my ability to stay connected. As I stay connected, the power of the promise is released in me. And 
And I have testimony after testimony after testimony. I've seen it in myself. <laughs> when you are settled and you're at rest, this is, can be offensive to the mind, so stay with me. God can work through you to bring to someone something you don't have the fruit of in your life yet. And then you have another opportunity not to walk in offense, but to stay true to what you know to be true. What are you talking about? You just totally confused me. Thank you for asking. I have seen myself believing in the area of healing, just because that's a, a simple one, a, a clear one. And pray for someone else and see them heal. And I'm still waiting for the manifestation of something in my life. But here's what the enemy wants you to do. What he wants to say is, you don't do anything till you see it. Then you know what? It's not a belief to me. It's a hope, but not a belief. And it's not a biblical hope. It's a worldly hope. Because a biblical hope is the confident expectation of good. I'm confidently expectant that this is coming. And that hope leads to faith. But a worldly hope is, well, I hope it happens. But if I just be honest, here's what normally happens. And then what we do is we enact another law, and that's called the law of uh, the tongue. And death and life being in the power of the tongue. Because when we don't see the fruit, we begin to talk according to what we do see. And so what we do is empower what we do see to stay there. Because what we've partnered with is unbelief. Because unbelief is easy because unbelief, 99% of the time, is tied to your senses. What you can see, touch, taste, hear, smell. Unbelief is tied to this natural world. But belief says, God, your word said that there's need for me to be baptized. See, this is, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not about tongues. I thank God for tongues. I pray in tongues more than you all. <laughs> I'm just quoting Paul. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, I pray in more tongues. Not about that. Just trying to wake you up. I thank God for the gift of tongues, for praying in the Spirit. Jude says you build up yourselves praying in the Holy Ghost. And it goes on, it says keeping yourselves in the love of God. So if you've got a problem staying in the love of God, pray in tongues more. Amen. I'm not being funny. I'm being for real. I thank God for the gift of tongues, but that's not what it, that's not the prayer. He said that I want you to receive power, not power to go do. That's the fruit. I want you to receive power to stay at rest when you're doing, when you're not doing, to stay at rest when you're seeing and when you're not seeing. I want to give you power that supersedes everything you see in the natural. And when we make agreement with that, and it start, and not just agreement, we make agreement, and then we start living by it. That's when it becomes a belief to us. That's tautology. Because then my life is fashioned after my, what I say I believe, and it's not just some truth I'm trying to attain. That makes sense. He said, they did not enter this rest because they didn't mix faith. He said, but we who believe do enter into rest. Look, this is good. 
So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those who are, to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time, As it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would have not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So what is he saying? What he's saying is this. When I enter his rest, I don't work for God, I work from God. And the, the finish that he's talking about is in creation. So he draws an, a clear example that when God said it's fit, he would finish creation, that he rested, he didn't create anything else. It wasn't because he was tired. It was because the work had been done. Listen, the same is true. How can I work from rest when there's so much that needs to be done? Because he said right here, for he, verse 10, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So I'm not working for God. I'm working from God. I'm working from the intimate relationship that I have with him. And that working is literally this. It's I'm believing what God has said, and I'm applying it to my life, and I'm walking it out. And I can do that from a position of rest, not striving, not contending, but resting. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't spirits and things like that 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 bring contention. Don't get in a ditch. But what I'm talking about is my relationship with the Lord. I'm working from a position of rest. Why? Because he's placed upon me the Spirit of God. And he's not striving. You know, Holy Spirit doesn't get worked up, whether it be a little demon or a big demon. Holy Spirit doesn't get worked up, whether it be a head cold or cancer. Holy Spirit doesn't get worked up, whether it be depression or uh, hyperactivity. He's not like, oh, man, I wish I'd known this was coming. I'd have got myself better ready. He doesn't. He's ah, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is resident on the inside of, of us And he rests upon us. And what he's saying is, I want my body. Because see, here's what's so cool. (laughs) When we understand that and we're operating from a position of rest, then we're not intimidated by others who are seeing stuff that we're not seeing if we're both going for the same thing. Because I'm not striving to be like them. I'm striving striving to stay at rest. And that's what the word says here before. That I, my only position is to stay at rest so that I can be connected to the vine so that this branch can bear fruit. 
So I don't have to be concerned with what's going on in everybody else's life. I can celebrate it with them, and I can walk with them, but I don't have... uh, Corinthians uh, 10 says, they comparing themselves against themselves are not wise. So if I look at Ben, and I go, well, man, I really love God when I start seeing the same things that Ben is seeing in his life. Now, I can look at Ben and go, man, if God's doing it in Ben's life, I can believe the same thing can happen in my life. That's the power of a testimony. It releases the life of Jesus, the power of Jesus. But to say, well, when I get like Ben or when I see what Ben sees, then what I've done is I've set myself up in works and not in rest. I'm after a result. As I shared earlier, I'm after a harvest instead of just being faithful to to sow the seed. Hebrews 4, let's continue. Verse 11 says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same examples of disobedience. Listen, this is what's so powerful. He said, let's be diligent to enter into this rest. How are we going to do it? How do we enter into this rest? Because the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit. What are you saying? He says this, when we stay intimately connected to the word, there are times that your soul will be in conflict with your spirit. And he said the word can come right between the two and divide them and say, no soul, you're not going to be the leader of my life. I'm going to walk in the spirit. (laughs) Come on. And he said, when you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Churches had that backward, well, churches I attended had that backward most of my life because what they said is don't do this, don't do that, don't cuss or chew or go with those or do. Don't drink and swear. Don't braid your hair. I'm just kidding. I got a little carried away. Stephen, that's Stephen. And they got all caught up on the do instead of the who. Instead of saying, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. They said, don't walk in the flesh and you'll be in the Spirit. And men have worked themselves out of church and out of relationship with God because they didn't feel like there was ever enough. And he said, walk in the Spirit. How do we walk in the Spirit? The only way you know the Spirit, the only way you know your Spirit is through this word right here because it's written to your Spirit. And there are things that he'll say in here that will offend your soul. They will offend your mind, will, and emotions. And it's then you've got to know the word. You've got to stay connected to the vine. And it's then that that word will come in. And it'll, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it'll cut right down. Man, I've seen people who know how to skin a deer. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, was, it was just so clear. Me? I butcher a whole lot of meat trying to skin it here. You pull the coat out and it looks like there's a quarter pound of hamburger still on it. <laughs> but I've seen people. Let's stay with me. It's not a bloody, it's a clean deer, and there's no blood, okay? <laughs> but I've seen people who've been able to do it, and they get it right there, and it that it's just as clean, and it's like it's just made to pull apart. Are you with me? There's no damage. To the, to the coat, nor to the meat. Thank you, Lord. And all God's children said, Amen. 
And it says the word is sharper than any two-edged sword to divide right between soul and spirit. So there are those times, and we go, man, is this me? Is this God? And that's not always a, a bad thing. Is this me or is this God? He says, I've given you something. It's the word. It's intimacy with me. And as you get in that word, my word will start carving really close. And you'll be able to tell the difference of what was soul and what was spirit. And that's good. That's good. The vision of soul and spirit and of joints and of marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's what I was just talking about. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom, whom we must give account. You know what's so beautiful about this passage of Scripture? Verse 13. It says that all things are naked and open. Jesus was naked so that I don't have to be ashamed. He bore shame. See, when in Genesis, the book of beginnings, that's a good place to start. In the book of beginnings, when they sinned, it says that they were what? They were naked. They knew they were naked and they were ashamed. Well, Jesus was stripped naked and he bore shame for me so that I can stand naked before God and not be ashamed. Can you prove that? Yep, let's keep reading. Seeing then that we have a high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast, let us hold strong our confession. What is that? Our belief. Our declaration that this is true, no matter what fruit I see right now, I know this is true, and I'm not going to be moved because I have a word that's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it divides asunder my soul and my spirit, those areas of conflict on the inside of me, and I'm going to hold fast to that confession. Why? Because I have a high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Look at this, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He said, there's nothing hidden from him, from his sight. All things are naked and open to the, to, to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Then he goes on to say, but don't get distracted because you've been covered. I've superimposed my spirit upon you. When I see you, I see him. Jesus within, spirit upon. So when he sees us, we shine brightly with his glory. And that's when he said, come boldly. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain, obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So he's saying, when there is that struggle, when there is that conflict, he said, come to me. Run to me, not from me. Because you can come boldly. And you can hold fast. Hold fast to your confession. Don't let it go. Too many get too close and let go. And I'm not talking about just a miracle. I'm not talking about a financial breakthrough. I'm talking about the intimate relationship that you have with him. That's the most important thing that you have in your life. It's not the fruit that will appear on your branch. 
It's the life coming from the vine. And as we hold tight to that truth, of that relationship that we have with him, the life is released in us and through us. And fruit happens. And we stay in a position of rest. We're not striving to do it. We're living from it. (laughs) That's so sweet. I mean, our team today was a testimony of just being connected to the vine, being a branch that bears fruit, that led the way they led into his presence because it wasn't, see, they were singing, I know because I was here with them when they practiced Saturday morning. They weren't singing to you or for you. Sorry. They had an audience of one. They were singing to him. And we just got to participate in that time of intimacy. That's awesome. That's the way he wants our life to be. That that place of rest, that we're not working for or Living for, we're living from. We're rested in him. And you know what's so awesome? When we believe that in accordance to my definition, that it's not just something I agree with here, but something I'm living in my life, it's then that we can say something, even like mom. I knew Ben was going to pair us up, and I was going to have to give a word or get a word. When we understand that I'm connected to the vine. I don't have to produce a word. All I have to do is be connected to the word. He'll give me what I need to say. Oh, my soul, for